There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arse Blog Arsecast right here on arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Thank you very much indeed, as always, for being here. I know it's a Thursday. Usually the Arsecast is on a Friday, but it's one of those weird kind of weeks because tomorrow is transfer deadline day. And we're going to be tied up all day doing stuff and things. There's going to be uh, our usual live blog, which will run all the way from morning through to the close of the window at 11 p.m. tomorrow night. I think the focus from an Arsenal perspective will be on maybe moving some players on more than bringing anybody in. But we'll have a little bit of a chat now in a few minutes with our guests to see if perhaps... There might be an addition before the end of the window. But as I said, it's much more about who's going. Will Rob Holding end up in Spain or Luton? I think I know which I would prefer, with all due respect, to any of our listeners in Luton today. Nicolas Pepe. What on earth is going to happen with Nicolas Pepe? It looks like Nuno Tavares is going to be heading to Nottingham Forest on loan for the season. We'll get a little bit of a loan fee, but they will have an option to make that deal permanent at the end of the window. Three words you have not heard for a very long time. Albert, Sambi, and Lukonga. It feels very much like he is surplus to requirements at Arsenal, but there haven't been too many clubs linked, and he's got until 11 p.m. tomorrow night to sort out a season in which he really needs to play. And then, of course, the biggest issue of them all. Cedric! So hopefully we get some resolution to all those situations before the window slams shut at 11 p.m. tomorrow night. There is another reason why we're doing this podcast today, Thursday, my guest is Charles Watts. You will have seen that he has written a book about Mikel Arteta. Revolution, the rise of Arteta's arsenal. That book is launching tonight, this evening, Thursday evening in the Tollington. So if you're listening to this, you're at a loose end, you want to get a good book, have a pint, some arsenal chat, get yourself down to the Tollington this evening and Charles will be there. He'll sign your book and I'm sure it will be a great evening. So to talk about that and much more, including transfer stuff, it's Charles Watts. Hello, Charles. Hello, Andrew. Good to speak to you, mate. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Looking forward to tonight? Yeah, yeah. I'm excited, stroke nervous, just hoping people turn up and I'm not stuck there uh, stuck there on my own, surrounded <laughs> by a load of books and my dad. Well, <laughs> so, I mean, at, at the very least, you'll have some beer there as well. So. I will have some beer. And I'll have James there as well and Sam Dean. So there are, I know there's two people who are definitely coming. But yeah. other than that, yeah, fingers crossed. <laughs> uh, it is interesting that this uh, book is being launched on the day 
12 years ago to the day that Arsenal actually signed Mikel Arteta from Everton. No doubt you have fun memories of that transfer deadline day and, and what we did. I tell you what, Andrew, I was randomly, as you do, I was on my Facebook this morning mm. and I was looking at my memories you know, the memories and it sort of comes up of what you did this day yeah. at a certain time. And I'm just getting it now. And I, I, I honestly hadn't clocked it was that day. And then I saw my memories from you know, 12 years ago today. My status on Facebook was a good ending to a poor summer. Better late than never, Arson. Chuffed to bits with Arteta. There you go. <laughs> there you go. On this day 12 years ago. So, yeah, I honestly I didn't even sort of clock the fact it was going to be on that anniversary, even though a large chunk of the start of the book is all about that that transfer and how he signed and I've got good insight from Dick Law on the sort of how mental that crazy last 48 hours of that window was so yeah it's a a nice sort of mirroring I suppose. It is mad though isn't it when you think about it now like how that's like there is unquestionably uh, I'm going to throw this out there and maybe it's something I should do myself but there might have to be like some kind of caged death match to see who gets to do this among the Arsenal writers but the summer of 2011 there is a fucking book in there somewhere right and things have been so crazy with with Sesk and with Nasri and the 8-2 and then we have this sort of trolley dash of a of an end to the window Mikel Arteta to Young Park per Mertesacker um Yossi Benayoun and uh, Andre Santos. Santos, You know, obviously next to come back to the club now that Mikel Arteta's manager, Mertesacker's in charge of the academy. We're going to have, I don't know, community liaison officer Andre Santos at some point. I don't know. But like, you know, there there is when deals happen like this, even if there is an element of strategy to them, there is also an element of desperation, right? Because they happen so late. And here we are down the line and these two men are so, like, I think... You know, they are fundamental to a sort of recalibration of Arsenal back then. They helped steady the ship and, and you know, we were never really, really back to where we wanted to be, but, like, we were on the precipice a bit and they helped us get back. And now here they are, Arteta's manager, Mertesacker's in charge of the academy. It's uh, Football, as we've often said, is a bit mad. But, you know, I think if you'd said to those two guys back then when they signed for Arsenal as players, actually... In 10 years' time, 12 years' time, you will not believe where you're going to be with this football club. Yeah, I remember we were a few of us were sitting down as head of the um, Youth Cup final last season. A few of us were sitting down at Colney with Per um, ahead of that game doing an interview, sort of round table type thing. And we spoke about that. Like, could you ever have imagined on that day when you both signed sort of what would have happened sort of 12 years down the line and how influential you'd be now in the, you know, basically the running of Arsenal Football Club? And he was like, no, absolutely not. But. Yeah, I mean, it proved to be, it was a crazy end to that window, absolutely crazy. And this is actually all covered in the book. Like I said, sort of Dick Law explains it and sheds some real insight into just how mad those final two days were. And I spoke to Colin Lewin for it as well. And he said he made that, that Arteta transfer was the only transfer he ever did or was ever a part of during his whole, you know, all those years at Arsenal where there was no medical done. Mm. It was just, we just do not have time to even have a medical. We've got so many people, different players in different, medical spots around the country trying to get scans in ahead of deadline and we just couldn't do it with Mikel and we just had to take a risk we Everton sent them the sort of photos of their de- medical records of him and that was it mm. and it was the only time he's ever done it and yeah there was a massive sort of bit of desperation about that but yeah ultimately now you look at it 12 years down the line and two of those two of those members of that trolley dash are, are just 
just massively important figures in this sort of new look Arsenal that we're now seeing. Yeah, it's it's crazy. So look, tell me a bit about the the book itself and and the, you know the process of it. As you know, somebody who writes a lot about Arsenal, you know. Uh, doing it in book format is very different, right? So writing pieces for um, websites or, or whatever it might be, they're usually a lot shorter. Well, obviously they're a lot fucking shorter because they're not books, but there is a sort of a certain style to it. And then you kind of have to recalibrate your thinking in terms of how you how you write a book and how you lay out a book and, and present, you know, what you want to present in that format. Was that challenging? It was really challenging. I, it honestly, obviously I've never done anything like this before. And, you know, when I sort of took it on and agreed to do it, I did think, oh my God, what am I going to do? <laughs> when I, remember, I just remember the first day when I actually sat there and I had an open page in front of me. And I just thought, what the hell, what, what do I do? How do I start this? And it was, oh my God, I've just, I've made a massive mistake here. And it, yeah, it took a little bit of getting used to, I did sort of, eventually get into a, into a rhythm and and start cracking it with the fact I was doing it on top of Arsenal being in the middle of a title run and I was working for goal at that time obviously and it was just it was just a crazy few months honestly a crazy few months I, I ran a marathon a half marathon sorry not marathon once a few years back and I vividly remember when I crossed the line thinking fucking hell, I'm never doing that again <laughs> and, and when <laughs> and when I when I finished this book honestly that that was the first thing that came into my mind when I wrote the last word that was the first thing that came into my mind was exactly how I felt when I finished that half marathon. And I think I've sort of eased up a little bit now. And if I ever, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't rule out doing one again because it is actually quite an enjoyable experience. Mm. The feeling now with it coming out and sort of getting those hard copies is just fantastic. And I'm really proud of it. But uh, yeah, at the time it was, it was a massive thing to take on. It definitely did take a bit of getting used to. The good thing was, uh, I mean, I had really good um, sort of publishing uh, editor in Joel, who um, from HarperCollins, who sort of helped and he experienced in this, and he he helped guide me. And we sort of sat down at the beginning of it, laid laid it out. I wanted to start it with Mikel as a player, sort of ending his time at Arsenal, and then sort of weaving it into how he signed and all that, because I thought that that was really important into you know the sort of man he's now become at Arsenal, mm. his time at a player, and getting insight into what it was like as a captain, as a teammate. I thought was really important to sort of for further down the line for what he's gone on to do at Arsenal and, and even his time at Manchester United, uh, Manchester City and his influence of Guardiola and Johan Cruyff and Barcelona and La Masia that um, I thought that was important. So I, I had that in my mind as like, I know that's going to be the start of it. And then I knew when I got to the end of that, because I sort of split it up into season by season. But when I got to a chapter or first section I wanted to end it with him being appointed as Arsenal manager yeah and, and then from then on I sort of tracked the seasons and stuff like that so I did have a layout in my head but but yeah it was pretty daunting at first it is and, and like he's such an interesting character as well because like you say there are all these football influences from you know growing up in in San Sebastian going to Barcelona PSG Everton Rangers you know this sort of weirdly eclectic mix of different footballing cultures different footballing styles different influences you know from the managers he had Walter Smith at Everton David Moyes then you get into somebody like Arsene Wenger Pep Guardiola, of course, who who any Barcelona boy is going to be uh, interested in, as we know. I mean, was it, um, you know, part of it is to try and present, you know, those influences as to how he now approaches his work? Because I, I, I think, you know, it's evident to me anyway that there there's a little from maybe a bit more of some than others, but all of those things are in there in terms of what he wants from his football, what he wants from his players and how he wants his team to play. 
Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I even you go back to that time at Rangers, I think it was massively important to in terms of the sort of the fighting spirit that he showed as a player, I think, and the, his character. And I spoke to Alex McLeish a little bit about it, actually. And um, I think McLeish was a guy who signed him for, for Rangers. And you know, he was he's talk, always talks about one tackle in an early game that Mikel went into and, um, and won the ball. I think it might have been in an old firm game. And, and he said that was the moment he knew he was ready to sort of cut it in, in England, uh, well, in, in Britain. And he knew what, he would go down to England there because of what he learned and at Rangers so yeah he's just a really interesting character of course I mean the book it, it does centre around him but it's also you know very much sort of the journey that Arsenal have been on as well obviously he, he's been the guy sort of mm. leading that journey since he arrived but you know it sort of touches on the emotion that we've all felt I think over the last few years and the connection that has been built by Arteta who's obviously been at the forefront of it but just the the way the fans have connected with the club again after all mm. those years of, quite frankly, just pretty horrible years, weren't they, towards the end of um, Wenger and, and Emery. And, um, yeah, so, you know, I speak to, like, Raymond from Red Action and it's all stuff like that about the just how the whole fan base and the whole club just feels kind of re-energised again after those really difficult times. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately for all of us, um, you know, we didn't maybe get the ending to last season that that we would have liked and that would obviously have been pretty fucking amazing for you writing that book. Yeah. There must have been a point where you went, oh, come on, come on. And there's like... Oh. Yeah, it sort of doubly hurt each result. It was like, oh, shit, Arsenal's not going to win, not going to win league. And then it was like, oh, shit. It's making it a harder sell each time. But we did, when I sort of sat down with HarperCollins at the beginning, when they kind of approached me about it and uh, and asked if I wanted to do it, you know, we, we very much from the f- at the front, the front said this wasn't going to be dependent on mm. Arsenal winning the title. Obviously, it would have been great, and it would have given him that, given it that dream ending that would have would have been perfect. But it was very much about the kind of the story of the the uplifting emotion and mood and up Mikel, obviously, and so it wasn't dependent on the title. But yeah, I it <laughs> it's each result that went against us that it that run it was like oh god, this is becoming a harder sell each each time it goes it goes by. My copy arrived yesterday. I'm looking forward to digging into it, and people, of course, can get along to the Tollington a bit later. What time things start about five o'clock? Yeah, yeah. So I'm sort of getting there from about five. I think doors open at four, and books are available to buy from four, and then it's uh. Yeah, Champions League draw on all the big screens and stuff like that. And then the Q&A with me, James, and and Sam's for about 7, 7.15 onwards. Okay. That'll be an interesting little sidebar to what's going on. Arsenal back in the Champions League. The draw taking place this evening at, at 5 o'clock. I know. What? I just saw the picture of the UEFA did it of the you know the little Champions League ball with a yeah. had Arsenal's name in it. And I was like, yeah, that looks very, very nice. It really does. So exciting, isn't it? For all the... Weird. Well, not weird because I can understand it, but certainly for, in my view, the sort of overreaction kind of to what happened at the weekend. The fact that you know this week we're now Arsenal are looking to be looking forward to seeing who they're going to get in the Champions League. I think sometimes you got to take a step back from one result and and look at the bigger picture a bit. Yeah, I mean everything is hyper focused, you know, on the on the game. I mean, are you are you do you have like a a, a perfect draw in mind, or is there one where you're sort of like well, I just hope you Munich. I think that's <laughs> yeah. absolutely. <laughs> written in the stars it was before Kane went but now Kane's there is definitely written in the stars and he's going to get his obligatory home and away penalty against Arsenal this season so I'm <laughs> um, yeah I'm convinced that it's going to be Bayern and then I mean I don't know I think Union Berlin would be a really interesting draw in in pot four mm. when you look at it I think the atmosphere and it, that it, those two games could 
bring I just think it'd be a it'd be a pretty mad one. Although if we got Bayern, I don't can you get you wouldn't be able to get them, would you? If you got Bayern, no, I think you go you can only have one. Yeah, yeah. so I mean, um, Real Sociedad in pot four would be an interesting one as well because yeah, of the Kieran Tierney situation. Let Kieran Tierney play or not? I'm not I'm not sure, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think there's any restriction in European. I think it's domestic. So is it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that would be that'd be interesting. I'm sure he'd get a really good reception. Um. Yeah, I mean, you get, I, I was looking at this. I did. I was, did a show on YouTube this morning, and I was sort of going through the the, the draw. And there's just, you know, I when everyone asks me what my expectation is of Arsenal this season, you know, in the Premier League is hard in terms of the Premier League because I think if Arsenal finished second and pushed it all the way, there's no way I would deem that a failure mm. of the season. If you, if you finish in second behind what is the best team in the world at the moment, that's just not a failure. So mm. the expectation of the Premier League is a bit weird. My expectation for the season is to go deep in the Champions League. I think. You know, I look at the teams in it and I look at the quality of Arsenal now and the squad depth and you know, I think they can have a really good crack at this competition this season. I really, And I think when you look at Mikel and the question mark still hanging over him, definitely European competition, his record in it, certainly in knockout stages, mm. is one that he has to show he can improve on. And so I think that my expectation for this season, more than the Premier League, if anything, is a real proper go at the Champions League and go go deep. Obviously, you've got to get a bit lucky with the draw, but um, you know I think they can have a really good go. There's no one I massively fear in that draw other than Manchester City, I would say. I think Arsenal got a good chance of having a good run at this conference. Yeah, I mean, Manchester City, obviously. I think you know Real Madrid, I know they're a bit work in progress or whatever it might be, but just there... Madrid, yeah. It's Real Madrid, it's the Champions League, and they do still have you know high-quality players in there, even if the team is, is, is changing a little bit. But I sort of tend to agree with you. I just, you know, I think if you look at it on paper and the players that we have... You know, I don't know that we should be that afraid of too many teams in this competition. It is the experience of it, though. You know, there is something to being in the Champions League season after season after season, and you know, you 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 learn lessons along the way. So, I think this is going to be a fascinating aspect of of the new season. You know, Premier League, everybody kind of understands what's at stake, and everybody understands the opposition and all the rest of it. But but um, combining the two the two challenges and being able to compete on at least two fronts as well as the uh, the cup competitions i think is going to be absolutely fascinating because it, it will require the manager to use the depth of his squad in a way that he hasn't necessarily had to well i mean he did do it for the europa league because you could just switch around the whole thing but you've got to stay competitive in the championship you've got to stay competitive in the premier league you can't switch out half the team like you can in the europa league group stages no, no, absolutely. So it's going to be a big balancing act that he's got to get mm. that he's got to get right. And uh, like I said, he's not his record in Europe leaves a little bit to desire to be desired so far for Arsenal. So it's it's going to be a big part of this season, and it's going to be really interesting how what he does and how he handles it. And like you said, you know, sort of giving everyone minutes to make sure that everyone's in a good shape is it's going to be intriguing to see what he does because. You know, again, when I saw the look at the potential negative of Mikel, it's I'm not sure he's done that very well. He's handled that very well so mm. far since he's been at Arsenal. There's players who should have got minutes who haven't really had that many minutes, and then you know they're just it's hard to play them then because they've not, they've barely played any football. So you've got to really rotate and rotate well and make sure that everyone's in in a good in good shape and and capable of coming on and playing. And yeah, it's going to be a really intriguing aspect. I can't wait. Though. I mean, can you just that first game at the Emirates, the first Champions League night? It's just going to be. 
it's going to be so special seeing the team out there again, hearing the music again. And, you know, it's been a long, it's been a long time coming. Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't say like the Champions League anthem is one I'm like, I love or anything, but it's just way better than the Europa League one. It's definitely way better than your. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not an it's not an absolute belter, I admit, but I just think that first time you hear it again, yeah. it's just going to be a very special moment, I think, for everyone in that ground. And uh, yeah, I can't I can't wait for it. Yeah, it's well, I mean, look, we sort of grew up on it, if you like. Well, I grew up, but I mean, it was just part and parcel of every season, year after year after year. Mm. Um, so hopefully, once we're back in it, we can stay in it and and do ourselves justice. So let's talk a little bit about the transfer market and there is a, you know a deal done it was completed yesterday following Balagun to Monaco could go as far as 40 million euros what are your sort of cliff notes on on this particular one because i've seen a lot of discussion about the fee and you know whether he's a player we should have kept etc cetera, etc cetera. how do you view this particular deal uh, you know from an arsenal perspective also from the perspective of the player yeah, I mean, from an Arsenal perspective, I think it's a good deal. You know, obviously, it would have been like you want to get as much money as you possibly can. And I think the fact for Arsenal, it's a bit unlucky that it was kind of announced on the day that Chelsea decided to spend £45 million on a kid from Man City who's played about two games. No, um, 40 games. I looked this up this morning. He's played 41 games for Manchester City. Cole has Palmer. he really? He has. I was looking at. I was. I was going. I was going on the stats. I was going. He's going to like play about three games, which is about two hundred minutes or less than that. He's played in the in the Premier League and in the Champions League for Manchester City. Has he really? I yeah. can't believe that. I, I should know. have done more research, Andrew. Forty games. Yeah, a season. I'm going to look it up again because maybe I'm I'm sort of doubting myself here. But that's um, that's what I uh, Cole Palmer, Manchester City stats. By club, 41 first-team appearances for Manchester City. Wow. I'm so, stunned by that. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a, what, for, for, for them, that's about sort of 10 times what Balogun's got for Arsenal. So, um, but yeah, I can't, I, I sort of, I felt a little bit for Arsenal that that was kind of, came out on the same day that the Balogun deal was done. But I think you, I don't think you can really compare the two because, and, and I sort of throw the Hoyland-Man United deal into this as well. And I sort of mentioned it on, Twitter yesterday and got hammered as usual for it but um <laughs> you know it's it, the difference there is the buying clubs in that in those two deals are hugely rich and bonkers Premier League clubs and it's very very different there was there, you know if Arsenal if there was real firm interest and in bids from Arsenal from the Premier League for Balogun they probably would have got more than 34 million mm -hmm. and they've got for Monaco but there wasn't it didn't come in those bids didn't come in and so they had to look at what was next best on the table. And clearly Monaco was best on the table. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this, they've spent 34 million. I looked at the top 10 transfers of all time in from League One clubs in terms of signings this morning. And all 10 of them are PSG. And the, the, the one that was 10th was 44 million euros. So it's only just a little bit less than what the Balogun mm. has just gone for. So if Arsenal were going to were going to sell to France and it wasn't to PSG, they were just not going to get much more than they got right now. And so I don't think it's a bad deal by any means. I think the fact they got seventeen point five percent sell on clause is big as well because if he does, you know, take off over there and you know does great great things and comes back to the Premier League, then the way things are going, that'll end up being about an eighty million pound transfer, won't it? Mm. Because when you look at the transfer fees, and so Arsenal, you can sort of add another fifteen million on top of what they've just got and it will take the overall fee to about sort of 50 million in the end so I think they've well protected themselves with that clause 
So I don't think it's a bad deal by any means. I think it's a good deal. I think for Balogun, it's a fantastic move. You yeah. know, he's going to a league where he clearly is success, has had success in. He's going to a very you know, great historic club in Monaco. Lovely place to live, by the way. Um, yeah, not bad. And, and, um, and yeah, I'm sure he'll do really, really well over there. But, you know, he, was, he had two years left on his deal. He wasn't going to sign a new contract. He wasn't going to go out on loan or anything like that. He wanted to be number one somewhere. He'd made that very clear to Arsenal. So they just didn't, you know, it was just a transfer that had to happen this summer. Yeah. You know, it wasn't, a, it's so many people have said to me, well, we should have kept him. We should have kept him and given him a chance. So, well, he wasn't going to, he wasn't going to sign a contract and he wanted to go. So, yeah. It just, it just, it was an inevitable transfer. He had to go, and I think with all that sort of considered, thirty-four million with a massive, massive sell-on clause is not a bad piece of business. I think the other thing to point out is that two years ago, or just a little over two years ago, he could have gone for free, and Arsenal yeah. did convince him to sign a new deal, and they sent him on loan to Borough, they sent him on loan to France. And, you know, there's two ways that can go. One is that you return to Arsenal, and Arsenal say, you know what, fucking, you're the guy. We love you. you. You've got a pathway to first-team football here. But then he's come back to Arsenal when Gabriel Jesus is is the number one. Eddie Nketiah is doing quite well. Uh, Leandro Trossard has been used there. Kai Havertz has been used there. If you want regular first-team football and you're Flo Balagoon and you're 22 years of age, you're not like 18 or 19, you're 22. You're at a point where you need to play. You know, you can understand why he would push for a move, right? And, and that kind of forces Arsenal's hand. Having already tied him down to a contract at some point, you know, they're not going to get him to sign another one to protect the value of the player. So I think, you know, from being somebody who could have left two years ago or a little over two years ago for free to have got the money that we got for him with the sell-on clause, etc., I think is is good business. The other thing is that, you know, oh, well, the fee is not this, the fee is not that. Well, you know, what would happen if, say, Chelsea had come in with 65 million and we sell Balogun to Chelsea for 65 million? Would people be really happy with that money? They'd be going, what the fuck are you selling a player like this to Chelsea for? You know, so it, it's difficult to win in, in certain uh, in certain aspects of yeah, this. I'd, I'd much rather Arsenal get 10 million pounds less and sell Balogun to Monaco than sell him to Chelsea. Of course, yeah, me too. Yeah. I don't care how much Arsenal get. It's not my money. It's not, you know, yes, you want to, you want the club to get decent money that you can be re- reinvested, but... You know, Arsenal have brought in sod all money for the last couple of years. They've still spent an absolute fortune. So mm. I don't really care about an extra 10 million. I just care that he doesn't go to Chelsea or Tottenham. Yeah. And I'm much I'm much happier that he's gone to France and and Arsenal have got this sell-on fee. If they'd sold him to a Premier League club for, for 50-odd million or 45, 50 million, they wouldn't have got 17.5% sell-on fee. We'd have had to watch him play in the Premier League, maybe for a Chelsea or something like that. It's just, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm... I'm much happier with this outcome. I yeah, I, I am too. And I think his return to the Premier League is probably inevitable at some yeah. point. We'll have to see where he ends up. Depends how he does at Monaco. But if it's a big fee, we get a, a good chunk of money. If it's not such a big fee and he goes to, you know, a Fulham or a Villa or something like that, we still get some money in. Uh, and we don't have to, you know, deal with the idea of him playing or, or, or turning out for, for Chelsea or anything like that. I suppose the interesting aspect to this is that it is another academy player who's brought in good money. And Arsenal, you know, I, I think traditionally we have not been brilliant at selling players. I think that's something that we've 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 not done as well as we should have considering some of the players that we sold down the years and the fees that we have got for those players. Um, you know, there are some uh, some occasional exceptions, but there are others where, like, the money based on the value of the player and the quality of the player has not been anywhere near good enough. And, and you know, let's not even get into the, um, the weeds of the players that we've let go for free or paid to go away. But 
the three big sales in recent years have been Alex Iwobi to Everton, Joe Willock to Newcastle, and now uh, following Balogun to to Monaco. So the academy is is really what's not propping up the 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 outgoings chart, but but that is where perhaps we're best at, at, at garnering value on some of the players that we have. Yeah, I mean, you can throw Emmy Martinez into the mix as well. Obviously oh yeah, 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 board. yeah. But um, he still kind of came came into the academy, didn't he? Um, yeah, one hundred percent. And when you kind of you look at two of those, or the latest two in Joe and um, Flo, you know, both have been sold on the backs of really good loan spells as well. Which is, you know, Arsenal have really worked hard to change how they use the loan market, and they see it as a way of bringing in investment to the club now. And you know, Hayland, everyone at the club is work. The main goal is, and I remember speaking to Jack Wiltshire about this last season. The main goal of the club of Hale End is to get players into the first team, but everyone is very aware that doesn't happen very often. It mm. will be one or two every so often make the grade, but then the rest of them need to go elsewhere. And that's why the club invests so much in Hale End is to build these players up. So if they don't make it in the first team, they can sell them on for very good money. And it's just a constant revenue stream. So it's a really important part in the way the club does their business now. And and I think the way um, they've revolutionised the way they they use the loan market with Ben Napper and everyone and and it's really showing signs of success now and I think we'll see that more and more because um, Arsenal are still generating lots of very very good mm. players from Hale End but they're not all going to go into the to the um the first team because especially with the standard the first team is now it's making it even harder than it, than it was just a few years ago you know Bakayo and Emil for example you know would they have got the opportunities they got if they were coming through now rather than, mm. than four years ago and you look at Ethan Wanieri, Miles, Lewis Skelly, you know, that lot the, who are kind of considered the next batch who are ready to come through or close to coming through. They're going to really struggle no matter how good they are. Yeah. Um, bit of a shame. Sure Sorry, bit of a shame that we got like Brentford in the EFL Cup, isn't it? That, yeah. you know, you'd look for you'd look for maybe a, a lower league team, League Two, League One team where where maybe Mikel Arteta could dip into the, to the academy a little bit when it comes to his team selection. But, you know, Brentford will play... Uh, you know, a rotated team, no question. But there's no, there's no way you can you can lean heavy on academy kids no. when you're playing a Premier League team as as good as Brentford. No, absolutely. I mean, I mean, look at Charlie Patino now. You know, he was everyone was sort of tipping him to be to to break through, and he came. He, he was coming through at a time when you know he had granite in front of him. Thomas Party had arrived, so he's he's headed out on loan. It looked like he was going to leave permanently this summer. There was a bit of a change of thinking there. After some, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't an easy summer for Charlie, and but it was a bit of a change of thinking. Mm. But whether you know he's at Swansea this season, if he has a really successful season at Swansea and builds on the you know the good season he had at Blackpool last season, he could be the next one to sort of to to leave for a decent chunk of money next next summer. And you know we all want to see Emil, the likes of Emil and Bukai do what they do and come through and and become number seven and number ten at Arsenal. But it's a very hard thing to achieve so yeah it's very very important that these players do also get sold and bring in bring in revenue it's uh, yeah i mean also i think we i don't know if we underestimate but sometimes people forget the difference between academy football and the step up from academy to to the professional game it wasn't too long ago and i know this uh, this was different times and we were all maybe a bit desperate but i do remember uh, you know online clamor for miguel aziz to mm. come into the first team and you know look where he is or isn't right now and i think that tells you just you know how difficult it is to 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 make the breakthrough Let's play a little game here because the transfer deadline is tomorrow at 11 p.m. And 
Uh, I'm going to ask you about potential incomings now in a moment, but there are players who we need or would like to move on at this point. Mm -hmm. So I would like you to predict what is going to happen with each of the players that I mentioned. I'm not going to mention Nuno Tavares because I think his loan to Nottingham Forest is more or less done. Yeah, that should be announced at some point, Yeah, maybe today. That's so that, that one's done. Loan deal with an option to buy um, and, you know, Captain Chaos at Nottingham Forest is going to be a bit of fun to watch. Um, but let's start with Rob Holding. There's talk of interest from Spanish clubs. There's talk of interest from Luton Town. I mean, I know what I would choose if I was Rob Holding, but I guess part of it depends on on the offers that are out there. What's your what's your either inside information or gut feeling on what might happen with Rob? I well, I think Rob goes. Um, I don't think it, well, I, I don't think it'll be Luton just because I saw the Luton manager come out and say that wasn't true the other day. Um, right. So I'm not sure it's going to be Luton, but there, there's things going on with Rob. He's definitely. Arsenal were talking with a couple of clubs with him. There's options available. And I was speaking to someone about it a couple of days ago. And the, the expectation was he will definitely be off before Friday somewhere. Um, and I think he should be. And I think it will obviously be a permanent deal. And I think Arsenal should. I, I still want to see Arsenal get a decent fee in for, for Rob Holden. Yeah. I just don't want to see him given away. I think he's a good Premier League player who's still young, who uh, has got about, had 200 league appearances for Arsenal, whatever it is. Um, and he's far better than a lot of people say he is. And I think he, he would be a good player for some lower half Premier League teams or abroad to Spain. And then, you know, Arsenal should be getting a decent little fee in for upholding, I think. But yeah, I think he's definitely, he's definitely one who will be heading off before right. Friday. I'd be very, very surprised if he's still here. Yeah, he wants to play. You could see that in the interview he did, uh, that YouTube interview he did a couple of weeks ago. He, he he wants to play. He doesn't just want to be at Arsenal to be, you know, the nice guy around the training yeah. ground and all the rest of it. Um, he deserves to play, I think. Like I said, yeah, I, think no, I he agree. Gets, he gets a lot of grief for upholding, especially at, at what happened at the end of last season. It just wasn't his fault. And I think he's a good player. You know, I thought that loan, that Luton one that you were talking about, when I saw Luton, you know, I thought... Yeah, that he would be a really good signing for them. Really, really good signing for that sort of team. And you know, I wouldn't be surprised he end up, would end up being captain there in a in a few months' time. But apparently, it's not true according to her manager. But yeah, um, I mean, that's yeah. that's one that I think you know, if you if you if you're Rob Holding, though, and you've looked at Luton so far in the in the Premier League, you know, they look like a team that is you know uh, ahead of schedule might be a nice way of putting it but but above their level playing above their yeah. level is is another way of putting it and i think he is you know at his best of backs to the wall defender he's good in the penalty boxes etc cetera, etc cetera. but i feel like that would be a little too much i did see during the week that arsenal do have an option on his contract his contract expires in 2024 but there is another year mm. of an option like you i think we should get some some reasonable money for rob holding i don't think he's um, w without value by any means. Um, I know was it Besiktas offered two million earlier in the summer, and Arsenal, yeah, that, you know, that turned that right down. Terrible, that's, yeah. that's a terrible bid for Rob Holding. It is, and people, people were saying accept that, and I just couldn't believe what I was hearing. I was like, why? On one hand, you say Arsenal are rubbish at selling, and and the club gets loaded grief for it, and then other people are saying accept two million pounds for Rob Holding. It's just it's a nothing bid mm. that. Would you would you expect or would a you know if Arsenal took up the option for another year, would you see a loan deal as possible, particularly to maybe one of the Spanish clubs? 
I mean, it could be when you get to this stage of the window, you know, loans become increasingly more possible because nothing's been sorted and you get a little bit desperate and you just want to get these players through the door. So, mm. yeah, with the fact there is an option there does make that a little bit more possible. But from what I was hearing a couple of days ago, that the talks were very much centred around still a permanent deal for, for him. All right, next up, Albert Sambi Lokonga, who's sort of fallen off the radar a bit. Um, there was talk of Burnley. It doesn't look like there's anything going on in that regard. I mean, I know he didn't have a brilliant time at Crystal Palace. He played a little bit under Patrick Vieira and didn't really play when Roy Hodgson was there. He was, in the first half of last season for Arsenal, involved, if a bit unconvincing. Um, You know, albeit at times in some unconvincing team performances too, but he never really... Uh, took the opportunities that he had you know, in the Europa League. Um, and I know he had an injury earlier in the summer, but but this is a guy who, is he, what is he, 22 now? Uh, maybe a bit more than that. Um, you know, but he needs to play. He's got to go somewhere and play. He feels very surplus to requirements uh, at Arsenal. It doesn't look like he's going to be included in the 25-man squad if he stays around. And that's another aspect to, to these departures. You know, when the window closes, Arsenal have to um, they have to announce and pick a 25-man squad, and he could be left, you know, contracted to Arsenal but not registered for any competitions if he stays. So what do you reckon on this one? Yeah, I mean, that does no one any good whatsoever, does it? We've seen that with Mesut Ozil and Socrates when that happened that season. Um, no, I think I think he'll go. I think he'll go out on loan. I, I haven't got any inside knowledge on this one because it's just been really, really quiet. And I've tried to find out and not found out anything, which either suggests everything's happening very much behind the scenes or nothing's happening. Yeah. <laughs> and they're desperately trying to find a club that will take him. Um, but I think alone, you know, he's got to go out and play. It would be mad for him to sit around for six months or whatever it is and, and not be registered. And It's a shame what's happened with Sambi because I think there is a talented player there. It's just not really happened at Arsenal. And he he had plenty of opportunities. He just didn't take them. And he didn't really show any sort of personality about him when I thought when he played. He didn't really know what he did or what his best position was. He never took a game by scruff of the neck or anything like that. He was always neat and tidy, but that was about it. Um, So he just needs to go and and play. I thought Burnley was going to be where he ended up. It appears that's not going to happen. Um, which is a shame because I thought company might be able to get, you know, give him a good showing in the Premier League and potentially get some good stuff out of him. So, mm. um, yeah, I think he'll go, but I don't know. I don't know where he's he's going to go to. Nicholas Pepe, the giant question mark, the seventy-two million pound question mark, uh, Nicholas Pepe, who you know spent most of the summer training alone. I don't know if that was because he was injured and rehabbing from injury, but there was talk of him coming back to Arsenal. And, you know, I saw someone say he's going to be rehabilitated and reintroduced to the squad, which, you know, really doesn't seem that likely to me. No. This one, you know, obviously there are clubs in Europe who might take a chance on him. Is it a case that because of the way the Saudi Arabian window operates until the 20th of September, that there might be a bit more lee room for, or uh, what's the word, leeway for something to happen here? Uh, it, it is a, it is one of those that they absolutely need to draw a line under now at this point, isn't it? Yeah, the the, the Saudi window thing is an interesting one. The fact it does go on for a little bit longer makes makes it, you know, th- this could drag on a little bit longer than Friday. Mm. Um, but... Yeah, I still think, you know, the, the words contract termination and Arsenal were never far away. And for, for Pepe, that still feels like the most likely option at the moment. Um, 
you know, Arsenal would dearly love a Saudi club to sort of firm up interest. And there has been some interest in him from those clubs, but they've just never firmed out with a bid. And, you know, although Saudi clubs are throwing money at people, they're also not stupid, I think. And, you mm. know, people look at the Pepe situation. And if you were a club who were who did have any sort of interest in signing him, you would think, well, I think if we wait this out, Arsenal are probably going to end up, you know, he's going to be available on a free uh, at some point. So... Um, it's a difficult one for Arsenal um, with him, and so I, you know, I don't think necessarily we're going to have this one re- resolved by Friday. I think it might drag on a little bit longer because of the Saudi stuff that you talked about. But yeah, it's a, it's a, it's not a great situation. It's kind of it, you look at him, and I, I put Cedric in this as well. I was so just sure going to ask you, yeah, me, yeah, and yeah. I kind of look at those two players as the the last remaining. I don't want to say dregs because that sounds really harsh, but the the sort of last remaining players of that era of sort of expensive contracts and transfer mistakes that mm. um, that Arsenal need to try and resolve. And I think those are the last two players that that might end up going the same way of the like of Meza, Mustafi and and uh, Socrates. Yeah, I mean Cedric feels to me like there's no real other way other than to sort of come to an agreement over the uh, termination of his contract because, you know, there might have been little or no interest or or reported interest from clubs in the likes of, you know, Pepe, Sambi, but there's been a little bit like, uh, you know, I haven't heard anybody going, well, we're thinking about Cedric, uh, this window. That doesn't appear to be the case. And, um, you know, he is, because he signed on a Bosman, uh, you know he's on a, a fairly substantial wage, so the way that Arsenal have to deal with this situation might well be: thanks, here's a carriage clock and a bag of fivers, off you go. Yeah, and we know that Edu's not uh, not really bothered about doing that, and uh, I think I agree. I think that's the most likely option for Cedric. I just don't see, and I, I did speak to people quite close to Cedric throughout the summer on this, and they've always. You know, they've been saying, oh, there's interest from clubs in Portugal. The top clubs are all interested in him, but it's not materialised into into anything. So um, I think looking at it now, what, two days away, I just, yeah, I just think it's going to end up in a, in a termination. I can't see... I can't see it any other sort of way out of this one. To I mean, it, it is something as well that, you know, in the, um, we might have a little giggle about it here, but, you know, in the, in the sort of wider context of what you're trying to do in a season, if you've got players who just aren't in the squad, who aren't going to be registered in the squad. It's really not a healthy situation for those players or for for anyone else around the club. So there is a, an element of urgency or a need to be decisive in situations like this, even if the uh, the outcome isn't necessarily ideal or the, the method of their departure, you would prefer somebody to come in and say, yeah, we'll take Cedric he gets a bit of a payoff and then he goes off and and does whatever or you know Nicolas Pepe sure his stock has fallen we will pay you 10% of what you paid for him you know to take him I don't even think that's likely but you can't have these guys hanging around no like I said it does no good to anyone you just go back to Chelsea last season and the mess that they got themselves Mm. in and and, you know so much of that was because of just what was going on behind the scenes there. They just had far too many players, far too many unhappy players. And you go back to the to Arsenal, you only have to wind the clock back three years into the situation when Meza and uh, Socrates weren't registered and what was going on and the stuff that was filtering out at the camp during that season. Mm. You know, Mikel getting annoyed talking about the mole in the camp and all that sort of stuff. Because And it was all because there was players who weren't playing who were unhappy. And it just doesn't, 
you know, it doesn't breed any sort of to any sort of success. You need to have a happy squad that's all in it together, and you do not want unhappy groups who naturally will form sort of cliques because yeah. they're all in the same position. They're all unhappy, and then they'll start. You know, of course they'll be like, oh, why is he doing this? Why is he doing that? And then they'll be moaning to someone, and then that news will filter out, and it'll get into the headlines, and it just does no one any good. No. And so it has to be resolved one way or the other, and you've got to get a manageable squad of a decent number. That, um, that you can work with and work with well. And I think Arsenal would, had really so much success because of that last season, because of the squad and how close they were together and they're all pulling for the same thing and you don't want anything to rock the boat. And mm. um, So I'm sure that's why ultimately you know, over the next couple of days or certainly in the next couple of weeks that all of these players will will you know come to some sort of uh, resolution one way or the other. I suppose a question, a big question people will have is over potential incomings yeah and you know there's I, I i feel a little bit for not the club but you know i think the perception of what this window was was different pre and post the injury to jury and timber right 100 yeah. percent. because you know three three big signings then david raya comes in but the timber injury i think has, has thrown a bit of a spanner in the works in some regards and when you look at the defensive lineup now, you have one, two, three, I'm including Gabrielle in this at the moment, four, five, six defenders. So you've got Zinchenko, Tommy Asu, Kivior, Gabrielle, Ben White, William Saliba. I'm making the assumption that Rob Holding goes, that Cedric goes, that Nuno Tavares goes. Is that a little light? Because I know people are talking about, well, maybe we should go for another attacker. My anxieties, such as they are, would be lessened with a, an arrival in the defensive area of the pitch. And I realize it is a bit difficult because you've got Timber to come back and, and he's a player who Arsenal have, have you know, invested in for the future. But I just wonder with some of the players that we have in that back four in in, the, in that defensive lineup. I'm thinking Zinchenko and Tommy Asu in particular, who have had defen- or injury problems during their their time here and have missed substantial amount of games. I think in some cases it's you know a, a little bit of bad luck, but you can't ignore that, right? You know, is no, no, sorry, yeah, no, you absolutely can't. I, the, I agree. I agree with you. Are, yeah. Are those six? I mean, to me, that doesn't feel quite deep enough when we talk about Champions League and yeah. EFL Cup and FA Cup and Premier League and that depth and and what have you. It just doesn't feel quite enough to me. I'd be worried a bit about the defensive side of our game. So I'm wondering, you know, you obviously agree with that, but do you think that this might be something that Arsenal address before the end of the 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 window? Well, I was having a discussion with someone about this yesterday, and the message I got was that there is still, that it certainly wouldn't be ruled out, but it was, you know, it wasn't mm. likely. And, you know, I've had that message before. I remember when when they signed Thomas Party on deadline day work a few years back and we, there was a game the night before, we were all at the Emirates and the message we all got told was that nothing was going to happen. And I remember leaving the Emirates that night thinking there was just no way Arsenal going to do anything the next day. And then, yeah. and then, Thomas Party arrives, and even a couple of years ago, when Tommy Asu signed on deadline day, we weren't really expecting that. And then, bang, Tommy Asu was signed out of nowhere. So, mm. you know, you would ne- you could never say never on it. And I think Ar- that Arsenal is certainly open to doing something if a good opportunity 
presents itself. One thing they won't do is just sign someone for the sake of it. We've seen that in the last few windows, even when there's been loads of clamour, say the whole Aubameyang thing, you know, they didn't replace all, but in, in that January, they decided we're not going to do it. We're going to wait until we can get someone we really want uh, mm. in the summer in Gabriel Jesus. So I think if an opportunity is there and they, and they think, you know, that works, that they will potentially do it, but they're not going to sign someone just for the sake of it. You know, I, the timber thing is so unlucky in a way. And then, it's just like, what do you do? Do you sign someone, a good quality player, and then suddenly Timber comes back in a year and you've, you know, you've potentially got Ben White, Timber, a new sign-in, Tommy Asu, all there. It's like, mm. it's really hard to as for the squad then if, you, if you've got that. So I think the most likely option if they do something might well be a loan um, if, you know, if it pops up. But then is that loan going to be of enough quality to really make much of an impression? So mm. it's... It's a difficult one. I think when you look at who they got, like you, you go through the centre backs options at the moment: Saliba, White, Gabriel, Kivior, and you could probably throw Declan Wright into that mix yeah. as well if needed. Um, and then the sort of right back options: obviously you've got Ben White, Tommy Asu, <laughs> clearly Thomas Party at the moment mm-hmm. um, as well. And then on the left you got what Tommy Zinchenko, Kivior as well. So. I think the fact that all those players are so versatile, maybe, although there's only the, the numbers are a little bit limited, there are a lot of options that you can sort of work with in terms of who plays where. Um, but it is a risk, I agree. I think it feels like they're one person light in that regard. Out of all of the squad, I would love to have seen more of cover for Saka brought in, but I was listening to you, you and James on the Ask Us Extra earlier this week, and it was a really good discussion about it. And it's really hard to sign a cover mm. for Saka just because of who he is. And it's very similar to the Harry Kane at Tottenham thing. And there are options, like James said, I think Gabriel Jesus is potentially a really good option over there if needed. Um, even Havertz can play there, Trossard. There is options, but I think defensively, when you look at it, that is the one area of this squad that if you get a couple of injuries, which can happen like that, we saw it last season with that sporting game when two went down in the same in the same mm. game then suddenly you're really, really short. And so, yeah, I, I agree. If they're going to do anything, I think that has to be the area where they look at bringing in some sort of cover to react to the injury to Timber. Yeah, I think so. That would be what I would do. I think we're covered up front. I know people might want that competition for Saka, but I do think there are options. I think we're we're covered in midfield. The, the potential to sort of start having to use midfielders in defense feels quite telling to me that that is, you know, something that you probably need to think about whether they have to make the opportunity happen or whether the opportunity presents itself. You know, I think we would do well to to have that little bit of a safety net because, you know, the Tommy Asu Saliba double whammy last season is evidence that, you know, you can get absolutely caught on the hop and it can have a really detrimental uh, effect on your season. But look, we'll we'll wait and see what happens. Deadline, of course, is um, tomorrow night, Friday night at 11 p.m. We shall see. Uh, for now, we better leave it there. Listen, good luck again tonight. Uh, I do have a competition to give away a couple of books. I'll tell people about it now in a second. Uh, but I hope all goes well and I hope the book flies off the shelves. Thank you, Andrew. Appreciate that, mate. Have a good day. Thank you very much indeed to Charles. You can find him on Twitter. He is at Charles underscore Watts, at Charles underscore Watts. And of course, on his own site, charleswatts.football. As I said, the launch of the book is tonight in the Tollington. If you fancy going along, it's free to everybody. Go get a book, go get a beer and all the rest of it. We do have a competition, though. Charles has very kindly donated two copies of the book, two signed copies of the book to give away. And if 
if you would like to win one, you can do so by answering the following question. From which club did Arsenal sign Mikel Arteta in 2011? From which club did Arsenal sign Mikel Arteta uh, in 2011? Very easy, I know. But send your answer, please, to competition at arsblog.com. That is competition at arsblog.com. We'll give you the winners on next week's show. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Right. Well, there is a fairly big game this weekend, Arsenal versus Manchester United on Sunday. We will look ahead to that game in a bit more detail in our Patreon preview podcast, which we're going to record Saturday morning. As well as that, we'll have some final reflections on the transfer window, transfer deadline day. If there have been any comings and goings, we will discuss those on Saturday morning for our Patreon members. Myself and Lewis Ambrose will be having that discussion. So if you're not already a member, you can uh, sign up at patreon.com forward slash arsblog. It's about five uh, pounds, I think five fifty euros, something like that. That's what it works out at. It's six dollars because it's done in dollars, but you get instant access to everything that we do on Patreon. So to hear more about Manchester United, to hear more about the transfer window and to get some reaction to our Champions League draw, which is taking place later this afternoon, join us on Patreon on Saturday morning. For now, we will leave it there. Thank you very much indeed as always for being here hope you enjoyed the show and we will catch you on the next one until then cheers bye bye Before this commercial finishes, this man will have cried so many tears. He is homeless, hungry, he does not have a club to go to. But most of all, he needs a friend. Can you be that friend? With just a small monthly donation, you can help the Cedric Sanctuary. Finding new homes for Cedrics everywhere.